This week, we're discussing a tale of ambition. It traces the rise and fall of certain characters during the era of unbridled decadence and depravity of early Hollywood. Because we're talking movies, we're talking Babylon. Starring Brad Pitt, Marco Robbie, and Diego Calva. Written and directed by Damien Chazelle. Uh, man number three over there, Chris. I can see your erection. <laughs> I like that quote, actually. Oh, God, please forgive us. You sent us the beautiful light and we're squandering it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of How'd You Like That Movie? Tonight, we're going to be talking about Damien Chazelle's Babylon, which is a sprawling, over three-hour, possibly masterpiece, possibly dumpster fire, depending on how you take it. So, Scott, uh, why don't we wade into the muck and mire of this film? Take us away. So, a little inside baseball here. How do you get Chris excited to do another episode after he bashed my last pick, Cree 3? Well, I had to pick a movie that hit all his sensibilities. Old Hollywood, movie production, orgies, and bad print. <laughs> Luckily, I fucking remember this movie came out. So I had to go through three hours i think i think film. i think you know why i like this movie better than i knew why i like this movie because <laughs> i'm pretty sure i'm like yeah yeah yep 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 just general it's debauchery like, i'm like, a big fan of just like, general debauchery so it's just like check marks you're <laughs> just like check marks right there brad pitt and orgy and old hollywood okay i think we're good we got the perfect movie for chris I, and you're not wrong <laughs> i loved it i saw <laughs> i saw this in the theater when it came out and I loved it. The whole film. Uh, I mean, I definitely, on its second watching, I could probably give it uh, some criticism. Because uh, this was in our uh, 2022 episode. Like, this was your best up. Like, yeah. this was your movie, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's it was it's sad that, uh, I mean, it did. It, I, I, it I, is I, sad that this is your pick <laughs> for the best movie in 2022. Um. I'm, it's sad that it didn't do better at the Oscars. Uh, it did get, you know, some nominations for sound and for set design, which which is good. Uh, I'm actually, it's one of the few places where I'm surprised that Austin Butler's and Elvis beat it. Because uh, the sets in this are phenomenal, right? Just like, be, mm -hmm. because you're going through so many periods and the decadence of that period. Um, so you've got like, you know, mansions that you need as exteriors and all the way out into the desert when you're fighting snakes and all kinds of other crazy shit. Right. So like, yeah, just that opening shot. Well, I guess it's not the opening shot. First, you got to go get the elephant for the opening shot. But once you get into that party, the, so first off the camera movements, the camera movement in this film is amazing. So is the editing actually. They, they're probably on like a technocrane or something like that. And some of them are, it's, it's an interior location. Um, they may have also been shooting some stuff in the studio. Um, you have like a, almost like a tracking shot where you're following. Um, whoop, let me pull my notes up here. Do, 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 do. Uh, Diego Calva as he's kind of like walking through the crowd. So it gives you this feeling of being there. Right. And the camera moves to the left and it moves to the right. So you can see like the sex and the drugs and stuff like that. And you're just kind of floating around with him in, as he moves through the party. And it's so this actually. This is a perfect example. Often when, especially if you have a lower budget, you, sh you try and show a party scene, 
right? And what it ends up happening is you don't have enough people and you don't have enough set design. So it looks kind of like under underfilled. It's kind of like a, a half-filled room. It just never feels like as claustrophobic or as intense. Well, with this, they've got like fucking extras everywhere. Like <laughs> doing crazy shit everywhere. Everywhere you look, you could sit there and you could just pause this and look around the room and it would be like, where's Waldo with Coke and tits? You know what I mean? And dicks. So (laughs) where's the Waldo? Uh, Like watching this, I'm just like, man, this is probably like the prequel of Eyes Wide Shut. Like this is the (laughs) beginning of that fucking sex group. Right. Like eventually Tom Cruise is going to fuck these guys up. But, but I'm like, this is the beginning. But it's also. And I don't know why, but this is literally my idea of what Hollywood is like. Oh, yeah. So, and like, yeah, like some of it, I like, think it still happens. Like, although old tiny well, debauchery I, I, seems I, like it happens I, more. You know what I mean? Well, I was going to say, according to uh, Hugh Grant, it doesn't happen anymore. And that's because of cell phones. But before cell phones, this is what happened. Yeah, he's very sad that people don't fall in love on set or go get drunk. <laughs> yes. But not that the workplace has become more professional. <laughs> That's that may have something to do with it. Well, if you went come on. Like, I, I will never experience this, but if you went like a decade experiencing this shit and now it's everybody's like, Okay, just sit on your phones until I call you, you would be kind of fucking upset too. Uh, yeah, I agree. But they talk about the same thing uh, when you talk to people that grew up in the theater and stuff where it used to just be like party time, like, you know, the theater in the 70s and even the early 80s, you know, drinking and partying and sex and stuff. And yeah, and things have just a things became more professional and B, the cell phone isn't just the being on it. It's the fact that it takes fucking photos and videos. <laughs> yes, 100 <laughs> percent. And that's exactly where I got with this comment. But in terms of this film, um, like. What, what would you, what, yeah, what what were your thoughts on it? I'm extremely disappointed in this film. Oh, like, okay. Like I didn't enjoy it, and I thought it went like literally from one extreme to another, but it had no substance whatsoever. Mm. Right, like cotton like, candy. Yeah, like it was just literally like, hey, listen, we're just gonna show tits and ass, sex and drugs, but. It gets nowhere. Yeah, like, <laughs> like in reality, it gets nowhere, right? Like, everybody's technically just doing the same thing over and over again for three, three fucking hours. And I, luckily, I didn't. So it's the, it so it's gonna... the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, but but even still, like, there is so much that they like. There's so many interesting things that got dropped in that were never picked up again. Like, I thought the character of, like, the Sidney Palmer character, the the jazz musician. Yep. Like, he, out of three and a half hours, I would say he's probably only in it for, what, 25 minutes or something like that? But but his story was, like, kind of the rags to riches. Like, you see, like, when you see him, like, starting out and he's, like, literally, he doesn't even have a bed. It's a chair, two chairs that he puts together to go to sleep in a room with, like, a bunch of other fuckers, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, the Diego Calva's character asks him a question. Now he's a big fucking star, right? And then you see him, you see him 
a snippet of like now he's apparently rich because you see his new fucking house and then you know he 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 doesn't let hollywood uh corrupt his morals so you know he was asked to do something he just did it because that he he was more guilted into doing it and then he quit and then you don't see him again till the end and he's like in this tiny little room yeah i know you you are correct i mean if you're gonna have a character that is not indulging in these types of things you need to show more of their life that and the fact that like i think he's supposed to basically play i think it's the jazz singer like one of the first like where because before this <laughs> black people were represented by white people in blackface right so mm-hmm. that's a really important turning point in in hollywood history and you're right it gets kind of just like brushed over i mean there's a lot of criticism just around the fact that we don't really talk about silent film, the silent film era very much in film. So why not kind of do it like they kind of did it dirty? You know what I mean? They didn't really talk about the industry other than the crazy parties. Like it would have been cool to see more of like what it was like to put those films together and like the production side and those actors like Buster Keaton and stuff like that. But it was just basically like, ah, we're going to use the silent era to represent orgies. And then as talkies come on, uh, things are going to become more Puritan and the people from the silent era are just not going to make it. That's basically the film. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's like, we're going to take the concept of singing in the rain, but we're going to just make it rated R. That's pretty much all they did. Yes. Right. And, but that's the thing. It didn't add to it. It didn't enhance it at all. Like we're both in agreement. Like you can watch, either one of those you can watch the original whatever of the all quiet on the western front front but each one kind of has its own story but it each one enhances the other yes correct like you can enjoy both but it's like just to you know throw tits and ass in there because technically now you can when as opposed to when singing in the rain came out that would have been a triple x movie or whatever and it never would have gotten seen. So to me, I, I agree. I agree with you that like from a, like a historical narrative, it, this film doesn't work like even, and the, the sad part about that and is that leading up to it, like during the press and stuff like that, Damien Chazelle was talking about like his love for silent film and how much, how much like work he did on it and stuff. And I think that might have been the, one of the reasons it didn't do well with like critics is they said they, everybody thought there was this like film about the silent film era coming out and it was going to be like well-researched and stuff. And instead you basically got a version of like Bows Lauman. Like you, if you, if I did not tell you who the director of this film was, you could easily think that it was Bows Lauman. You know what I mean? It's got that aesthetic to it. It's kind of manic. It's like fucking super saturated colors, fucking shit happening all over the place. And so sometimes it's good to, not give people really high expectations, lowered expectations, uh, because then you can hit the bar. And I think that that is a a big challenge is that people were expecting realism, like much more realism. And what they got was, like I said, cotton candy. Honestly, I I loved it as as cotton candy, like not trying to make it anything serious, just watching it as a spectacle, like a big old train wreck. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying, but again, they're like putting in the stuff, but not enhancing it 
to me is what the detriment of this movie is. Like you have the the female director, right? Mm-hmm. And then Which is his wife, by the way. That, that's great. But you still have her in early hot like a female director in early Hollywood. And based on like the scenes you you kind of see, not only was she respected, uh, but you know, she she was bringing in money for these studios, right? But like her story is also just like a side piece mm. and which is just like, you know what? I Like it's just like dropped. It's just like, okay, she's going to be in these scenes with Margot Robbie. And then, you know, it, by the end of it, you just see like the, I'm assuming it was the assistant director. Like who was the guy with the glasses? That's, That's the AD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like he was the one that just like, literally like, just like when they try to go talk, he just took over fucking control of everything and it just seemed like he had way more power than than well, she did well, she okay well, well so, so, but, say, that, but no 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 that's actually like he's the ad that's his job is to do that he's he's not a he's not not an assistant to the director he is the assistant director he is responsible for keeping people on track right so all that that's why like i watched that and i was like <laughs> i knew immediately who the assistant director was <laughs> yeah but also there's a lot of fucking buried bodies in old Hollywood just based on those extra scenes. And and that was my, one of my favorite scenes is when they're like, um, after the battle, the guy has like the flag <laughs> in his thing. They're like, he was an alcoholic. Yeah. It's tragic. It's a disease. He right? probably, probably, like he ran, probably into it, ran into he it. He probably himself. ran into himself. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, you're like, Oh, that's how they brushed all this shit off. Right. Well, and then the, the camera operator, dies like over of overheats and dies in the little booth there and they're just like yeah so he's dead moving on (laughs) so did you did you like it at all or were you just like totally disappointed i was more disappointed than anything it's not one i'll ever like i'm never gonna revisit this movie ever like um it's probably the best role i've ever seen toby mcguire in (laughs) i love him as that character but yeah, even like that's the thing. Like he's a producer of this film. Um, he's an executive producer. Yeah, but he's still a producer. Like he he's getting a producer credit, correct? He's getting an executive producer credit. Yep. Okay, so ex- so explain the difference. So he would have had very little to do with the like the day to day workings. He basically was probably like money and connections. He probably he had probably had no real uh, authority over like creative or any of that type of stuff. Like he's not okay. he's not like a working producer. It's it's sort of like how you got to be a producer on a short film because we took your money <laughs> and you okay, had no but, say. <laughs> yes, but here here's the thing. So if let's say this movie got Oscar, no, he doesn't not, go on stage. He doesn't. No, it's only it's the producers. Produ- yeah, but he gets points if he might it money. depends it depends on it depends on the contracts like yes mm-hmm. and most likely like why else would you executive produce other than the you know sometimes you executive produce something because you want that project it's to get, get made. made yeah like you want to be in a movie like i don't know uh, scott vega and so in order to be in that movie that movie needs to get made and so then you give chris money to make the movie like that's how that works sometimes no, it's, it was more like Chris begging, like, I need to get this made. I need help. <laughs> Here you go. Fuck. <laughs> anyway, but, I digress. Yes. Anyway, so, so Toby Maguire was. This movie yes, lost a shit ton of This movie lost money. Oh, like, yeah. 
So from what I saw, the estimated budget was 78 million, not counting marketing, and it made 63 in worldwide growth. Yeah, and I saw somewhere where like because it had a huge like marketing campaign that it may have had to do like what like 300 million or something like that to break even or like there was a big number and it did not it did not did not do that at all. Like you said it's like 63 64 million. I mean, maybe it'll make a little bit of money in streaming. I got my I got it on Paramount, so I just paid my subscription. Same. And so I don't think it's going to make its even just production budget back. Now, in terms of... Hold on, before you move on, do you think it's going to kill his career? That I, That's literally where I was going to go with it. So you have the guy who did Whiplash. Which, which is, is awesome. Which is an awesome fucking film. All right, La La Land. So it I almost... Hold on, hold on. So, okay, listen. I know La La Land people fucking jerked off. Love that fucking movie. It gave it all these awards and stuff. I thought La La, La, La Land was awful. I felt like I was in some type of prison sentence once I sat down in the theater and it started after the gap commercial at the beginning style scene ended, I was like, Oh my God, how much longer do I have to be here for that kind of is as there are elements of La La Land in his inability to handle really big production and like the ability to have like a through line through everything. Uh, it to me, La La Land felt like a bunch of little like set pieces that didn't really come together. And that is also some of the criticism that has been said about this film. So maybe he just, where Whiplash is a much more contained film. So maybe he just can't handle big, big, big production. Anyway, keep going. But well, in terms of what you're saying with La La Land, um, a book I finished called Audienceology, the whole beginning of that movie was changed based off audience test screenings. Because originally it was like the traffic jam. You get introduced to um, the Ryan Gosling characters and the Emma Stone characters. And the first musical number doesn't come in till like 20 minutes into the movie, which it took the audiences aside because they didn't know they were going into um, an oh. actual musical. Oh, so, so they gave them a musical number right away just to be so like. So they know exactly you're in a musical, right? <sighs> Sometimes you just so. need to make the movie you're going to make and then, well, whatever. Listen, he did fantastic at the Oscars with it. I'm, I'm one of the few mm -hmm. people. They, Saturday, so many people liked it that like uh, Saturday Night Live actually did a sketch with uh, Azif Ansaria where he's being interrogated by the police because he's the only one who doesn't like La La Land. And he's like, I don't know. I just, I just, I just didn't buy into it. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I think... I think it might, but I also think there's enough back. Like, his back catalog is strong enough that, you know, they might he might get one more. All right? Yeah. I, I, what first I think first Man didn't be, do very well either, though, right? So now it's like, for, okay, so now you've got two. Okay, man, maybe you get three more, like, one more, like, one more shot. Yes. Um... But that's what I think. It's gonna be one of those. Here, here's like, here's a ten million. Here's twenty million. Right, one of these. Okay, you like make a, a smaller budget. one. Yeah, let's see. Maybe this is you know this is where we kind of want to put you in. Kind of thing, but who knows, man? Listen, like a lot of people criticize M Light M Night Shyamalan, and that guy is still fucking going because I think he's one of the smartest businessmen in which 
uh, like directors that's out right now because he fucking finances his own films. So in reality, studios don't really lose that much with his movies. That's why he's able, even if it doesn't like hit, he's able to keep on going. Right. Well, and I think, uh, didn't he also work on that? One of those Apple TV series, the, um, I can't remember the, title. the servant, the servant. Yeah. 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 Which looks yeah, amazing, yeah. man. The, like the aesthetic of it, uh, the show's a bit fucking weird, but it looks very, I nice. haven't watched it. My sister loves it. Yeah. My sister loves it. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, the one thing that Babylon has going for it is really strong for por- performances from Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie and Diego Calva. And actually, I'd say the, the four, right? And Jovan Ad- Adipo and uh, Lai Jun Lee. And of course, Tom McGuire does a great job. Uh, there's a bunch of other cameos. Uh, uh, Flea, Eric Roberts, Olivia Wilde, Spike Jones, And then there's a bunch of other just like people you know from Hollywood that are also in it. So he stacked his cast. So the acting in this is very good. Brad and Margot Robbie, though, do an amazing... Fuck, man. Margot Robbie, like... I don't want to call her a character actor, but she is such a transformative actor. Like, I really Mm -hmm. love the work that she does, and I think that she's going to continue to develop as uh, a fantastic, like, leading woman. And Brad Pitt... I mean, Brad Pitt basically, like, plays Brad Pitt. But casting him as, like, the, the typical movie star... I mean, that's what Brad Pitt is, right? So it was, it is perfect casting, right? Yeah, I'll say, like, in terms of dialogue scenes, the one that I enjoyed the most was his, his little scene with uh, Gene, Gene Smart, who plays the like uh, gossip movie. Yes, yes. After, you know, after his film bombs, and then, you know, they have that little interaction because he feels betrayed by her. And then she goes, uh, do you want to know why why they laugh? And then when they're talking and they're talking about like, listen, like your work, you know, a hundred years from now, people are going to still come to your work and you're going to live again, right? Like the the trope of Hollywood is you only have a set amount of time and, you know, and then he actually leaves thanking her. Like, that's the thing. It's it's kind of sad that the character this person's based on that his character is based on is actually most of his films have been destroyed and lost. So actually none of his silent movies are, are really available to, to, to watch who, with the exception. Who, who of, was it? I th- Gene. Uh, fuck. I had it here. Hold on. It was Gene. G- okay. Gilbert. I oh, think okay. the name, it's the same character that, singing in the rain is based off oh okay gotcha gotcha gotcha. so that's why yeah yeah so there's more than one comparison to singing singing in the rain which is funny because then they do singing in the rain in the film right yeah what did you think of that little snippet that they put in in which um you know it was kind of like the history of cinema after i love that i love that that was awesome that was awesome (laughs) i would have cut out so First off, I think this thing they needed to end on more like I didn't really need to see Brad Pitt's funeral. I didn't need to see Diego Calva's character come back. Like I would have just like Margot Robbie's character goes off into the night. Brad Pitt's character does what he does. And then Diego Calva like gets out of that room where there's the gunfight. And then I would have just like that would have been the end. Maybe and, and oh maybe you could, you know. In, a, in an end of credit scene, you can have, like, the death of um, 
Margot Robbie's character at 34 something. But I would have, first off, it would have saved you, you know, 10 minutes or more. I would have cut that out because that's where it starts to lag out. And then I would have hit it with that, that history of cinema. That, that history of cinema was so awesome. Like, I would like to actually just see that as a short because I think it's so well done. See, I think in terms of the history of cinema, I do think there's one scene that they missed out on that Jaws? I didn't see it. No, oh. no. It's <laughs> fucking Christopher Reeves as Superman flying into the Earth's, like, into the Earth. Then it would have been a nice fucking callback to Brad Pitt an interview with the vampire when he's in the theater and he's like that's when i can see the sun yes right? yes because that's the first time that brad his character gets to like re-see colorized sunlight right yes so it would have been a nice callback to that because there was a lot of like little tidbits and stuff where you know his characters like saying famous lines but like just fucking them up or changing them up uh uh, like you know when he's like frankly scarlet you're a cut yeah yes instead <laughs> of i don't give a damn right so yeah um but. like i said aesthetically this thing looks great great uh you know the set design the music scoring um whatever that like that song that kind of was like that jazz song that's throughout the film that is an mm -hmm. awesome piece of uh piece of music uh the dp is lingus sangren uh so he worked on a film called promised land which has uh, Matt Damon in it. Uh, he did the uh, cinematography for American Hustle. Obviously, La La Land, First Man, he's kind of um, the director's go-to guy. Uh, he also did Battle of the Sexes, which actually looks really, uh, the aesthetic is really nice because it's set in the 70s. It's kind of got that grainy film stock. And he did No Time to Die. So, like I said, it looks good. Definitely well handled uh, from a cinematic perspective. Um the acting is good. It, it is a bit long. There is times that it feels a bit slow. And if you're just going to have like kind of manic crazy shit, then maybe you just lean into the manic crazy shit. And then anything that's not manic and crazy, you just fucking start yanking out. There is some yeah, really good moments was... though, right? Like, well, like when you start a film with fucking elephant shit, right? Like you can't, <laughs> like it's hard to like, you know, you have to keep that like fucking shit going. Oh, like, and I love, I love like that. it doesn't just the elephant doesn't just take a shit, and the elephant doesn't just take a shit on someone's head. The camera is so close that the camera is getting fake elephant shit all over its lens, and then the elephant just keeps shitting like. <laughs> and, and that was just done to like make the elephant lighter, right? That's why he was throwing the shit onto his asshole so the elephant could shit to make it lighter, <laughs> so they can pull it up. That was the thing. Why didn't they just try and get the elephant to walk up the hill? <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it either. But I figured that would have been easier as well. I, I also <laughs> like Margot Robbie vomiting everywhere. <laughs> oh, that was my favorite. Yeah. It was like Monty Python-esque vomit. Uh, the other thing, though, and, and I, I did, it's funny enough, I did a bunch of re looking into, there's a lot of cocaine usage. And my understanding of that period, it was like much more morphine and stuff like that. And the conclusion I've come to is, so first off, they said, yes, there, there was like, you know, all the party drugs were available kind of thing. But I realized it's probably because, A, if you do a bunch of morphine, you're not a very exciting character to watch on a screen. You're kind of just chilling out. It's like opium. Um, and Margot Robbie talked about how they had these like crazy big lines of fake cocaine, which is like vitamin E and stuff like that lined up. And she was like, these are a bit ridiculous in size. 
And the director talked about how, well, they don't play, the smaller lines don't play well for the camera. Which makes a whole lot of sense, and I never thought about it. Because often I'll be watching films, and you're just like, man, that amount of cocaine they're doing, like, that would fucking kill somebody. But a lot of it is just because, like, if you make them smaller and more, like, reasonable, it's not going to show. And so I think that, like, cocaine is a way for the audience to go, oh, these people are being excessive. It allows them to be, like, super manic because they're all super high all the time. And it shows well on camera. So it was like an artistic and a technical choice at the same time. Yes. Um, but also there's another, like they did the, uh, with Diego's character where when he would, you know, he would switch back and forth from English to Spanish. Um, yeah. Cause uh, Spanish or Mexican. What they speak it? fucking Spanish in Mexico, my friend. No, <laughs> that's no. the language that but they speak. it's different. Yes, irritation. Mexican dialect versus like it's a like, Spain, like a Spain, it's like Portuguese and Brazilian Portuguese, right? That's right? Like there's the they're Portuguese, but they're still kind of different. Well, and then there's kind of Lisbon Portuguese, and then there's what you people speak. So, yeah, uh, English. I speak English, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or at least I try to. If you heard this podcast, it doesn't work out as well as, but um, so when you know. You have the setup where, you know, where they first introduce and he's going back and forth with her and then he's telling her he loves her. But you see the um, the closed captioning, like you see the translation on the screen yep. in which you can read it. And a bunch of times that happens. That The one thing I was upset about, because I thought it would have, because it would have been a nice ju- juxtaposition as well, is when he goes off on when she find he finds out that she came to him about oh you want to know what he's saying (laughs) oh i i knew what he was saying i understood it but it it literally should have been the same thing where you had that juxtaposition of him like you know everything was romantic he's like i love you and he's like mia more and all that shit right uh so when he was like you fucking bitch you're ruining my life like why the fuck would you come to me bitch (laughs) like why wasn't that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, if you're going to show the good stuff, you should show like, because that's a big, I mean, they probably did it because him just being like losing his shit in Spanish. If you don't speak Spanish, it just sounds like so crazy. Like he's so angry. Right. But yeah, I wanted to know because I picked up like just a few of the words and I'm like, yeah, he is not a happy dude right now. <laughs> yeah. But um, um uh, so that- originally Emma Stone was supposed to play the Margot Robbie character. And I'm glad that she was not because listen, maybe it would have been a breakout role as far as not like she's a a big star, but I mean like Margot Robbie's character is fucking trash, right? Like she's a hardcore motherfucker in this film. And I don't know if Emma, but it was, yeah, it was rewritten for Margot Robbie. Oh, like the character was completely different when it was supposed to be. But could you imagine this character? Like this seems to be like that character suits this film to a T like she is the right basically the the rise and fall of a silent film star who uh you know as soon as you hear her talk you're like oh (laughs) you probably you probably shouldn't be in the pictures uh same with the actual and I never even thought about this she's not very good at learning lines because she never had to learn like dialogue nobody but yeah so that's same with Brad Pitt like he doesn't know how to like deliver lines Mm -hmm. Because he's just always been just like a face and his mouth moving. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, like, well, they kind of showed it where, you know, it was her g- debut movie. She was just saying whatever the fuck she <laughs> she wanted to say, right? And then, and then you know, the... Um, and that's where man number three got, a, got an erection. Yeah, and then that's... I don't know who, like, what back in the side of the movie is what would it be narrator would it be the dictator well didn't you see put in the words well no didn't you see like that's what um yeah but what would that title be the miss fawn or whatever uh well she was the didn't they they call her like the the like title writer like she said like who's writing the titles on this yeah so that's that so basically it also looked like she was part, kind of partly like doing like the dialogue for the script at the same time, right? Like the story has a mm-hmm. general aesthetic, and then because remember she's like, and they call me just call me Wild Child or whatever. Like she was kind of coming up with the dialogue. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like back then in the side of the movie, I don't know what the actual title of the person who would do that is. Like if it is title person, title card person, um. But it, yeah, it's it's interesting to see because the character that Brad Pitt pays, like in real life, the reason why he didn't succeed so much was his voice did not match his physique. He oh, so he didn't have this like pitched. really attractive. No, voice. no, it was high. Yeah, it was high pitched, and that's why people laughed when he actually went to the talkies. Right when he was saying the the scene like "I love you, I love you," it, it was it was high pitch. It sounded like um like Alvin a the child Jones. talk a child <laughs> talking to his mom. Right, like I love you, I love you, where's my water? Uh, but but yeah, man, it's so it's crazy. you uh you would not recommend this film? No, I I personally did not enjoy this film. Um, it has it has um what should we call it? Like it has some like good stuff. Promise. Yeah. But yeah, to me it was more it wasn't to me it wasn't the story I I think that was chosen should have been. Right? Like I think there was more that could have could have happened. I, like I'm all down for a downer ending, right? Because not every movie is a happy ending, but it uh to me it could have been better. Yeah, it's got a 56% from the critics and a 52 from the audience. And it's it's unfortunate because normally a film like this, like, okay, maybe the audience doesn't like it, but the critics really would or, or vice versa. And yeah, it kind of universally got panned. Uh, those those are not good numbers. Uh, with a three-hour and six-minute running time, too, it's, it's tough, right? Uh, honestly, I think if you go into this, like, listen to this podcast and go into it and go, okay, this is just going to be a bit of a feast of the eyes. You're going to see some cool acting. You're going to see some cool set pieces. And just and now that you can watch it at home, you know, if you've got a bigger TV at home, I think it'll do it justice. It was nice seeing it in the theater because it is such a spectacle. Again, it's it's like a Baz film, like a Baz film. Like it's so fucking sensory overload at points. Um, so I would definitely check it out. It is available on Paramount. So if you get bored or you want to like kind of break it into like Sort of like eating that elephant in smaller doses, one bite at a time. <laughs> I would definitely do it, especially if you're into film, uh, if you're in the film industry, uh, especially if you enjoy cinematics and acting. Uh, check it out. Uh, yeah, and then uh, let us let us know what you think. Okay, uh, before we end this, I think this would be good because this movie is about like Hollywood history and everything like that. There's something going around 
Twitter right now. So it's um, eight directors. So I say a name. You tell me what their best movie is. Okay. Okay. Cameron. Uh, Aliens. Okay. Fincher. Who? Seven. Nolan. Uh, Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Hitchcock. Uh, do, 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 do. I mean, it's it's either gonna be Psycho or it's gonna be. Uh, no, it's in your opinion. Oh, it's in my opinion. It's in my opinion. Um, uh, I honestly, I think, I think, I think Psycho is is, is one of his best films. So yeah. Okay, uh, Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Oh, uh, fuck, that's a tough one because I like a lot of his work. Um, Full Metal Jacket. Spielberg. Uh, Jaws. Scorsese. Fuck. Uh, uh, God, because I'm going to say Goodfellas. Okay, the last one. And I think you know who it's going to be. Yes. Tarantino. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. See, I would have gone T2 mm-hmm. for Cameron. Finchner, I also would have gone with Seven. Um, Nolan, Dark Knight, mm-hmm. Hitchcock, Vertigo. See, that was my other. It was it's 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 on the bubble, right? So that's I'm glad you said that one. Kubrick would have been The Shining. Mm. Uh, Spielberg it has to be fucking Raiders. Uh, Scorsese, Casino. Again, though, and, that's the other one, right? I'm like, uh, Goodfellas or... And then Tarantino would have been Jackie Brown for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Jackie Brown's good. Um, I mean, he didn't write it. So, I mean, you, I guess you... Could, and it had to be stuff they directed, right? So True Romance probably yeah. wouldn't have counted in there either, right? Right. Cool. Well, at least we're yeah. roughly on the same page. Yeah. I mean, I or let's be honest, them. I love... Death Proof. Death Proof is actually and that's what I thought you were going to say. But it's but the only one. But you've heard me talk about. I think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's most accessible film. It encapsulates uh, everything that we have come to know, whether we like it or not, about Quentin Tarantino. You know, the star-studded cast, the like old Hollywood. It's got a great music, you know, supervision, you know, crazy ending, like all that. Like it, it is very much like if you watched one film. And you wanted to know about Quentin Tarantino? I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that film. Yeah, I think, like, now that we're talking about it now, I think that's why Babylon, for me, didn't resonate as as much, right? Like, you have a revisionist Hollywood movie already in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it was done so well. Mm. And this one was just like, okay, we're going to kind of do the same thing. We're just going to go back a couple of decades, and we're just going to amp up the fucking it's an ass yeah sort of like drugs. we don't have uh it's all it's more show less go uh i would mm-hmm. actually you know now that you say that i would like and it doesn't have to be quinter but i'd like someone to do kind of like babylon like redo that not this film specifically but like a revisionist history or even just the history of that silent era transition but do it well right do a good like a really good job from a directorial standpoint like i said i think babylon looks is a feast for the eyes it does have a lot of other like fucking narrative issues uh but yeah basically to the quality of once upon a time in hollywood i think that would be a fantastic film and i think that's a film that would do well with the academy you know what i mean so wouldn't that just be singing in the rain 
Yeah, but you got to. So what, we can just remake Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain did well with the Academy. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like technically, how wasn't it already done? Where the original actually. Beat oh, because yes, yes, Hollywood never redoes the same thing. It never it's redoes like, the same thing. It's like which Total Recall is better, Schwarzenegger or Farrell? Uh, which Total Recall? Oh, Schwarzenegger, of course, man. <laughs> that was. Um, just a hypothetical i didn't actually want a fucking answer <laughs> <laughs> all right man you got anything else no that's it thank you and that is our wrap for the day please like and subscribe to this podcast tell your friends if you want to get a hold of us reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com So the advantage, I guess, of uh, having a producer, Scott, is we can say a bunch of bullshit and then he goes, no, that's not correct because <laughs> he has the time to correct us in real time. So be like, listen, if, if I wanted to be facts checked, I would put this shit on Facebook or something. That's right. I just want to be able to say I just want to say whatever the fuck I want to say. So I guess I guess uh, the Brad Pitt character, his voice actually isn't what killed his career. The way the film shows it, Babylon shows it, is his shitty acting is what killed his career. <laughs> Production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions.